You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Amen. To put God first. Amen. As much as we are able. Amen. It's in our ability for those that are joining us online. I know that we have several that are sick. Thank you for joining us and uh, praying for them. I'm excited about the Word of God tonight. Thank you for being here. You are in the right place. Turn to somebody and tell them you are in the right place. Amen, amen, amen. I am uh, thankful because it is getting more and more attainable to preach shorter than Brother Kendall. Uh, And I'm thankful for that. So count our blessings. So... um, I want to take your attention to the Word of the Lord tonight. We're going to go to the Word of the Lord tonight. I I don't have any slides this evening, but we are, other than a title slide, um, we are continuing with our Origins series. Origins is a study of beginnings. And so, but we are going to walk through the Word tonight. You may want to take some notes. I may say, write this down. Uh, If you need a pen, if you need a piece of paper, uh, just wave your hand and uh, somebody will show up with, we we, we need some pens. And pieces of paper. And so our ushers who just so graciously took the offering are busy with that. So maybe if you're in the ministry team, you can help us here. And just if you need a blank piece of paper, if you want to use your phone for notes, as long as you are not texting people about how long the pastor is going, I don't mind if you use your phone for notes or whatever else there, that's okay. But I want to uh, uh, get back into the series and we took a little hiatus, a little, little break here after eight long weeks covering chapter one, which was so, so much. And, I, and we did not even exhaust it. I come through eight weeks and I'm thinking, man, I should have, I, I didn't even get into this. I didn't even talk about that. But I am convinced that you cannot exhaust the word of God. In fact, someone told me that you cannot exhaust one word in the word of God. That if you took a word in the Word of God and just studied that word and just looked at that word, um, all right, over here back to the right, and uh, I don't know if they need pens or whatever else, but um, you can't even exhaust one word in the Word of God, let alone the Word of God. So this study is not conclusive. Uh, It's not, uh, no study ever is of the Word of God, so we've got to stay in it. But we're going through Genesis chapters 1 through 11. And so this is a long study. I had hoped, I got real brave today, and I thought, man, wouldn't it be great if I could just go through a chapter in a night? And I started studying, and my goal tonight is three verses. If we can get through three verses, we're going to be really good. We're going to be really good. So God's Word is that rich. It is that rich. And so I love that. So tonight we're going we're gonna to jump back in here. And we're looking at Genesis chapter 2. We finished with chapter 1, and we're going to look at chapter 2. But in order to set up what we're going to look at in chapter 2, we will go back. Allow me the opportunity, if you will, to read the final verse of chapter 1 to sort of set that up for us. But we need the help of the Holy Ghost tonight. I'm not here to convince you um, how much I know, because one thing I know, I don't know everything. And so I'm not pretending like that in any manner in this series. But this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture because it's so foundational. That's why we're calling it a study of beginnings. We could call it a study of foundations 
because every every doctrine, uh, every uh, correct biblical thought, doctrine, ideology, truth, faith can be pulled, I believe, out of these first 11 chapters. And so the rest of the Bible expounds and and, uh, builds on that, but it comes from here. So this is the first part. But before we start, um, we need to do two things. We need to pray, and the OCD in me is also, thank you. So we've got that one out of the way, but let's pray. Would you pray with me? Lord, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your blessing. I thank you for your truth that you've given to us, your spirit that we feel. And I ask tonight, God, as we open up your word, let God's thoughts be in our life. I pray that not only would we understand and know you, but Lord, then we would be able to apply it to our life. And I pray this tonight in your mighty name. And everybody said in Jesus name. Amen. All right. So you are going to be able to be seated tonight as we march through this We're going to go through a a lot of Scripture. Not a lot, but some Scripture. That's where we're going to primarily stay. So let's go to Genesis chapter number one, and we'll begin at verse number 31. So this is going to set the context, and then we're going to read three verses of Scripture. So in Genesis chapter one, verse 31, without... Give me, if you will give me the latitude of not doing any recap or any summary, you can go back and you can listen to the eight podcasts we already covered on chapter one. Verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Verse one of chapter two, thus The heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. Now leave this verse up here, if you will. And this will pull out this concept of Sabbath. Sabbath was the word that the the, uh, uh, scripture gives to us in today's um, uh, modern uh, Judaism. They use the word Shabbat. So if you've heard of people referring to Shabbat, Um, It was the seventh day, and of course, their day would begin at sundown. And so there, for for lack of a better word, if we're doing the comparison between the calendars, we operate on a Gregorian uh, calendar on Friday evening at sundown, when the sun goes down, begins their seventh day until sundown of that Saturday of the final day in the week. They would call it Shabbat or seventh, the seventh day, Sabbath. God blessed the Sabbath day and sanctified it because that he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. So Sabbath is introduced here. So here we are not even out of Genesis, the very beginning. We have not even gone to the detailed telling of the Garden of Eden. Uh, In fact, there's going to be... a a little recap summary, and then he's going to tell us how the earth existed. So in chapter one, he's just telling us 
that he created. And he's talking about not only the world and uh, uh, everything in it, all the creatures, but then also humanity. And we covered that. But then he talks about in chapter two, he's going to talk about how the world existed, the state of the world, God's original intention, the Garden of Eden. Then he's going to tell about how he created woman and Eve, how he how Adam named all the animals. He's walking through all of this stuff. And before he gets to all of that, he establishes this principle, this concept, this idea of seventh, uh, the Sabbath on the seventh day. So God's instituting this right here in this passage. Now, we today, um, first, if your mind jumps way ahead, races way ahead, immediately you read this and you think, wow, the seventh day is sanctified. The seventh day is significant. Why do we live today with zero regard for the seventh day? And so we'll get to that today. We'll talk about that. We are not under that, uh, uh, that economy that God establishes here with Moses. And in fact, Paul is going to nullify the observing of the Sabbath as a special day. So this is interesting. So before we can understand why Paul says it's nullified or fulfilled, could be another possible way, we have to first understand what the Sabbath is. So we, can, we are living out a practice in modern uh, Gentile life of being a Christian that we may not even understand that we, we, we're living out until we go back and we look at what God was giving to them. So let's look at this, the Sabbath day. Well, first of all, I think something that we can highlight out of the text that, that through every verse that we read is the relation of Sabbath within the context of creation. So we read 1 in 21. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. First, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them, creation. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day. Why? It said, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. So the significance of understanding the Sabbath has to do with God being creator. So he is our creator. So at no time in the history of man or in the practice of the Old Testament Israelites and Jews, were they ever observing the Sabbath without a constant reminder that God is my creator? My pastor always made this statement, which is a great statement, and that was this. God is God, and I am not. And then he'd say that and he'd remind us, God is God and I am not. God is God and you are not. The sooner that you learn that, the quicker that you learn that, the better your life is going to be. Yeah. Yeah. God is God and I am not. He's God. He's the one that matters. What, what, that, there's so many different ways. We could do a series just on that. I owe everything to him. I wouldn't be without him. Everything I am, wherever I'm at, he's the one that created me. He's, the, he's sovereign over all things. We can look at that. There, there comes a... Because, hey, he's a creator. I'm not. He, he's the one. He's God. I'm creation. He expects me to be me, not him. He doesn't ask me to be him. 
So there's a lot of things that are liberating in that. And how did God teach that to his people in the Old Testament? He did that by establishing and blessing the seventh day and sanctifying the seventh day. So every day that they went throughout their week or or every week that they went throughout their life, there was a seventh day. Okay, they would pause. And now there's something significant about the seventh day. Before we get to the command about the seventh day, We see here that it is in the context of creation that Sabbath is given. Now let's look at what it says. It says, God rested. God rested, right? It says he rested in verse 2. Am I in the Bible? Verse 3, it says he rested, right? Now let me ask you a question, because we don't read Scripture out of context. We don't want to prove text the scripture. So we, we, we read scripture and we interpret scripture by scripture. We don't interpret it by our own things or, or whatever we come to the text. So scripture has told us so much about God. So what we know about God has to be true. And then we have to interpret scripture by scripture, by what we know about God. So I'm going to ask you a question. This is a question that you should write down or you should make a mental note. Does God need rest? Do you need rest? Absolutely. Why do you need rest? Because God is God and I am not. Thank you. That's the answer I was looking for. You need rest. I need rest. God, though, is self-existent. He's eternal. Does anybody remember the Absolute series we did a few years ago here and we talked about the eight unique attributes of deity, the first being that God is absolute. He is absolute. He's self-existent. He tells Moses, Moses says, who do I I say sent me? I am that I am. God has no ending. He has no beginning. He, He does it. His batteries do not run out. God does not need recharging in that context. But God is speaking to us. So when we look at this here, what is going on? Well, let's go to the first part, and that is, that is verse 31 of chapter 1. And I want us to note something here. The context of this is given. And God saw, that word in the Old Testament, saw, Um, everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. When God saw, so there's something that is taking place here, and God is not a man like you and I to where I can be blind to something, and then all of a sudden, oh, I see something, and in that moment, my mind is illuminated. God knows all things at all times. So there's never a point where God says, oh, would you look at that? God doesn't say that. We say that. But God doesn't say that. Um, But here the text is telling us something God saw. And that word, of course, we would understand, we we would see or we perceive. And when we would perceive, it would be um, maybe for the first time an initial perception or recalling something to memory. But in the context here of that old Hebrew word, the the phrase, the two words that come together that, that are God saw, would mean in the sense God beheld something, not that he, that he was seeing something for the first time, but he beheld something, and by beholding it, 
It literally means that he was pleased by it. God was pleased by it. God saw. He beheld what he had made, and there was a pleasure. There was a joy. Now, God's pleasure and God's joy is different from us, but there was a, um, the word happiness would be wrong, but, but he beheld this and he sees it's good. He is, there's a, let, let's use this, he's satisfied. God is satisfied with what he has done, with what he has made. It is very good, it says. And then it goes on, and in the context of that, God is satisfied with what he has created. He is, in our, in our word, he's contented. He, he is pleased. It's accomplished there. And then it says on, in verse 2 of chapter 2, and on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the Sabbath day from his work which he had made. So he ends his work and he rests. God does not need rest in the context that God is tired and he's just got to have a day off. Right? But he ceases to continue doing a new thing, something that he's done in that moment. He's beheld. He's satisfied and he steps back. He's done this in six days. And so now the seventh day, he is intentional in what he has done. The Bible's been very thorough about each day. The seventh day is reserved for a day of ceasing and a day of being pleased, of being satisfied. It's a day of of resting in that satisfaction. He's pleased. He is ceasing his work. Now, you could talk about this. Well, did God cease to be God? No. By him, all things exist. So did, did creation stop? No. It's still continuing to this day. Is God still working? Yes, he's still working to this day. But God didn't get up and say, oh, I rested on the seventh day. Okay, eighth day. All right, new day. Okay, I got to start over. Got to start creating. No, it was done. He was satisfied with that, and it continues on. So for us now, we take that understanding, and we go to the instruction that is given in Exodus chapter 20. So let's go to Exodus chapter number 20. Now, Moses is the one that's writing the book of Genesis. He goes and he lays out everything else, and he's bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt. And uh, God's law is given to them, teaching them. And we come to Exodus chapter 20. And does anybody know what is significant about Exodus chapter 20? It is the giving of the Ten Commandments. And those Ten Commandments are all endorsed in the New Testament multiple times over. And the one commandment that is not, that is not reestablished and that rather is nullified, both by Jesus and by Paul, is this commandment of the Sabbath. But nonetheless, he gives it. So let's look at what it says. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, Genesis told us that God blessed it and he sanctified it. He made it a holy day. And what was holy about it was that he ceased and was satisfied or was pleased in that. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day 
is the Sabbath day of the Lord thy God. Here it is. God is God. You are not. He's your God, thy God. In it thou shalt not do any, what does it say? Work. Thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. Everyone that is within your property, within your territory, is to do no work. You are to cease from working. You are to rest. Now, was that rest um, because you're wore out? How many like to take a day off a week? Praise God. Need to recharge. But God did not save the seventh day just for our rest. He gave us nighttime every day for our rest. So for the weariness of our body, we are to rest every single day. He gives that for us. But for the seventh day, for them, he gave that. They were to cease from work. What is work? What is work? What is work? Earning a wage, making a living. We use those kind of phrases. And of course, it looks different in our economy today than it would have back then. You are tending the flocks. You are tilling the ground. You are building things. You are cleaning things. You are, there were things that needed to be washed. They had the same sandals and the same clothes almost 40 years, something like that. So they didn't wear out, praise God. But I don't think the Bible tells us that they washed themselves. They, they received manna, but they had to take that manna. They had to grind that manna. They had to bake that manna. There was still work. There was effort to do. But one day a week, they were to cease from working. Now, how many of you, now this is me, so this is my personality, so it may not be you, you may be blessed with this not being the case, but like, I can't rest, really rest, until everything is done. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, there's stuff to do. As I get older, the problem I found out is that everything never gets done. Ever. Right? Come on. And, and inside my, my, my anxiousness and my anxieties and my concerns and, 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 and mentally I could work myself crazy. Like, I've got to do this, got to do that, got to do this, and, and all this, and how am I ever going to do this? And wow, there's no more time, and I'm running out of days. And now, okay, if I don't sleep for seven years, or, or I, I think I might be able, you know, and your mind just starts going nuts and all of this stuff. And God told them, Every seven days, you are to stop. You are to cease, right? Why? Well, let's go on. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Why are you to cease every seven days? Because God is your creator. God is your Lord. What does it say here? 
because of the Lord thy God. And he also says that the Lord made everything that is. You are not God, and you are not creator. And so as we work throughout our life, there was this point where they would come to a pause, and they would cease from working, and they would set their work aside. They would set things that needed to be done, needed to be accomplished, and they would set that work aside to acknowledge and honor. This was not just for the rest of the world to see. This was for them, between them and God, for them to acknowledge, God, I only am because of you. And if I think that I can do this all on my own, then I am living a miserable life because I can't do anything. If I am left to my own devices, it will always be insufficient. It will never be enough. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to do, as you've heard me say, I'm going to do what I can do, but I'm going to let you do what I cannot do. And I'm going to trust in you. You're God. You created the heavens and the earth. You're the ones that created all this stuff. I can't do it. I can cultivate it and I can do this. But ultimately, you're the one that's in control. And so I am going to pause every seven days and I'm going to cease from my work and step back and acknowledge that you are the creator, that you have created for your pleasure, for your purpose, and I'm not going to get in the way of that in my life. You are Lord in my life. So we have to ask, what is, what is work and the purpose of work? And this is what we were, what they, let me say, what they were asked to set aside. And we ask, what do, when it says, because God rested, what do we know about his resting? Well, God wasn't resting in the context of recharging. He was ceasing from his work because he beheld it and it was good. So what was it? There was a satisfaction. So in their walk with God, get this. Now, let's put this in context. God, God gives this to Moses to give to them in the middle of the wilderness. How many of you would like to live in the wilderness? Not in that context. In the middle of that wilderness, they were to live every six days, and on the seventh day, they were to cease and be satisfied. Not because they were living in the wilderness, but to be satisfied because he is God. To be satisfied because he's the creator. There was to be a contentment. Get this. There was to be a contentment that they were to have, even in the wilderness, that God is God, and I am not. He's the creator, and I don't have to worry about it. I'm doing what I can, but I am ceasing from all of my worries, my concerns, my purposes, my questions. I'm never going to get it all done, and I am going to pause, and I am going to be content. I am going to be satisfied. I am going to enjoy what God has given me right now in this moment. Yeah. What was one of the biggest mistakes that the children of Israel had in the wilderness? That was their ingratitude. And they never were thankful for what God did. 
and they were greedy. They never caught this principle, so they played it out. So there was a ceasing from the work, and there was to be a satisfaction that goes on. Okay, let's go to, if we can, let's skip down uh, to Exodus chapter 31. Exodus chapter 31. And here he goes a little bit more. And the Lord spake unto Moses, verse 12, saying, Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbaths ye shall keep. I'm in Exodus 31 and verse 13. Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbaths ye shall keep, for it is what? A sign between me and you throughout your generations. Why? That ye may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. I am the Lord that sanctifies you. You can't do this on your own. You can't sanctify yourself. You can't save yourself. You can't help yourself. I am the Lord. And this keeping of a Sabbath is to be a sign that continually teaches not only you, but your generations, your children. Hey, I I know there's more work to be done, and I know there's more. Dad, why aren't you out there working? Mom, why aren't you out there doing this? I'm sure the children are asking that. People are asking. Well, I know there's stuff to be done, but we are to pause every seven days because He is the Lord. He sanctifies us. And we have to acknowledge our own human limitations. Get this, folks. We have to acknowledge our own human limitations. They had to acknowledge their own human limitations. When they set work aside for a day and ceased, they were to be satisfied and content and to be what? Pleased. How many in here could truly say, I'm satisfied with my life? I'm pleased with my life. Can I tell you this? That God's desire for you on this earth is for you right now to be satisfied? For you to be content? We hear a whole lot of preaching about God's going to bless you and God's going to do this miracle and God's going to do that. And everybody, we want, want, want. And we come into church, gimme, 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 gimme. And we're missing. God wants you to be satisfied even in a wilderness. Yeah. Oh, no, I knew nobody's going to probably get up and clap and shout. Uh, am I in the book? This is going to be a sign. Why? That ye may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. And then he goes on in verse 14. Ye shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy unto you. So God here, he sanctified it, but now he's telling them the Sabbath is holy. Why is the Sabbath holy? It's not because is God more God on that day? Is he less God the other days? Is the Sabbath holy because you love God more on that day? Because, no, you're to love God every day. You're to honor God every day. But what made the Sabbath holy, what set them apart, what sanctified them, this was a unique characteristic of the children of Israel. All of the other pagan nations, they didn't take days off 
or if they did, it was far distant and in between. And so this concept of a week, God institutes a week with the children of Israel of seven days and a day of ceasing labor and rest and being satisfied and sanctified. Think about that. 52 days a year of work that you would lose. Think of how many tents could be built and houses could be built and fields could be plowed and, and stuff could be done if you had 52 extra days in a year. 52 extra days of work. But yet for them, it was holy because they were setting aside things that carnal man would say is valuable and say, I am going to set this aside and I'm going to step back and be satisfied and content. If I work 52 more days, would I make more money? Would I have more stuff? Yes, but would I be more satisfied? Would I be more content? What God says is he wanted us to be satisfied and content, not in our circumstances, but in him. Yeah, yeah. The Sabbath's holy. And if you're going to make it in this life, you've got to have something beyond this life that's going to help you. You've got to have something beyond this life. So he goes on. Look at what he says. He says, it, uh, it, For it shall be holy unto you. Everyone that defileth it shall surely be put to death. For whosoever doeth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Now, what did we just read that the Sabbath is? Verse 13. What is the Sabbath in verse 13? It is a sign. We know the Old Testament taught to us, was the schoolmaster spoke to us in types and shadows and all that stuff. So now he says, if you do not keep the Sabbath holy, if you do not have a moment where you set life aside and you are contented and you are satisfied with God in your circumstances. He said, whoever defiles that, whoever will not acknowledge that, he said, that soul will be cut off. Now, literally in the Old Testament, there was the penalty of death, but we know the Old Testament was a type and a shadow to teach us something. And the spiritual principle is still true. If Jesus Christ is not enough for you, if he is not your everything, your soul will be cut off. There will be a separation. If you cannot be content in him in the midst of this life, don't think that he's going to invite you into the fold in the next life. If he can't be your everything here on this earth, then you are rejecting him now and saying, Jesus, you're not enough. Man, hear me today. When we stand before God, we will all be judged, whether we are judged by being a part of the church and the catching away or whether we are brought before the great white throne judgment. When we stand before God, the Bible tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And that is not a coerced worship. That means that every single soul that ever lives will come to the point of the revelation of God and they will be overcome by his majesty and his incredible love and they will worship him freely. Not just 
souls that are saved, but souls that are condemned. Though they are condemned, though they are damned to an eternal separation from God, they will still bow down, the Bible says, every knee and every tongue, and they will confess how powerful and wonderful he is. And what is so terrifying about that moment is that those that rejected God and reject God will then receive the revelation of how hard they had to work to keep God out of their life, of how hard they had to fight against the love of God, of how hard they had to push against the mercy of God, of how hard they had to, had, had to stiff arm the grace of God. And even in their condemned state, they will yet say, he is worthy. He's holy. There's no one like him. Can I tell you, that's why it is so important that we be contented in this life, in the middle of our physical misery and all of that other stuff. Jesus, you are everything. You're my all in all. You're my creator. You're my savior. I'm satisfied with you. It doesn't mean I'm happy about the wilderness. It doesn't mean I'm happy about the circumstances, but there's something inside when they would pause and they would stop and say, but he's God. God, and I'm not. He's the one that created us. He's got a purpose. He's working out his plan. And God wanted them to know how serious it was. And so he went to the extreme and said, if you don't get this, you're susceptible to death. Wow. Well, wow, that Lord, that seems like an overreaction. That seems extreme. If you don't get this, he said, your soul is cut off. If I'm not your everything, if you don't acknowledge that I've, that I've put you here, that I've done certain things, he said, there's, there's a cutting off. Why did he put that extreme? People say, oh, well, God was just so hateful. How could he put that in there? Well, think about it this way. If God says, hey, you can do this and be blessed and have everything you need, or you can fight against it and, and, and face certain death, surely nobody in their right mind would say, I don't want to have anything to do with God. And yet, they rejected God. And yet, they still stiff-armed God. And yet, they still said, we're going to do our own thing. Now, here's the powerful thing about the Sabbath, and we, don't, we're, we got to hasten on. But God told them to take 52 days off a year. They were, to, they were to take a break. And then there was not only those Sabbaths, but there were also high Sabbath. There was holy days that he had set up, feasts and stuff like that. So all in all, it came out to be um, a lot closer to uh, uh, somewhere in the ballpark of 80 plus. I'm, I'm probably wrong on that. I don't know how many Sabbaths were observed. But there's a lot of days off that they had throughout the year. And God gave them this promise. If you will be satisfied in me, you will be satisfied. And they had as much as the pagan nations that were around them that never took a day off, and God gave them as much. 
God said, I'll give you a double portion when you honor me. I'm, I'm here to tell you, you cannot outgive God. When you are satisfied with God, you will truly be satisfied. When Jesus is not enough, you will never have enough. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 5. We'll, we'll, quick, we'll quickly go to Deuteronomy, and then we're going to go to Ezekiel. Deuteronomy chapter 5, and this is the Decalogue. This is the re-giving of the law to the generation that is uh, 40 years removed or about 38, 39 years removed from the initial generation. And Moses is giving this to them. He's going through the law again. It actually is the reinitiating. It was actually a new covenant with this generation. So he had given it, but now it's re-given. And, and chapter 5 in the book of Deuteronomy in verse 12, he says, Keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. And then he connects it, Six days shalt thou labor and do all of thy work, but the seventh is the Sabbath. And he repeats the same thing. And then look at what he does here in verse 15. Now we're in Deuteronomy at the end. It's the second giving of the law, the second covenant. And Moses makes the connection here between their deliverance. And remember... The Sabbath is a sign. He goes, and remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt and that the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a, a mighty hand and by the stretched out arm. Therefore, the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. This is another layer, another layer of revelation of what he's saying. He says this, why, why do you keep the Sabbath after everything else we've talked about? He said, because remember, you were servants in Egypt. You were in a situation that you could not change, that you had no control of, and God stepped in. God did the work. Why? Because you obeyed the word of God, because you took the lamb and you, you let the blood be applied to the doorposts. You allowed God to reign in your life. You listened and obeyed the voice of Moses, and by faith, you sojourned, you walked out. And why do we honor the Sabbath? Not only because he's Lord and he's the creator, not only because we are to be contented in him, but we are also to acknowledge that I live in situations that I cannot control and I cannot change. And it is, it is futile for me to think that my extra effort, through all of my effort, my intellect, that I'm going to change this situation. Yeah. No, God is the one that sets free. God is the one that delivers. God is the one that sends a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God is the one that opens up the Red Sea. God is the one that brings water out of a rock. God is the one that rains quail down from heaven. God is the one that brings manna down. God is the one that sustains and leads and provides. So, okay, you want to get yourself outside and you want to do it on your own? Okay, look, I see you out there working real hard, laboring, and oh, oh yeah, you're just going on. And you know what? Your, your, your work and effort will never be enough. But if you can be contented and you can say, you know what? I got more to do, but you know what? God's God and I'm not, and, I, and I'm trusting in him. And you cease and you're satisfied and you're contented. God will give you things you don't even ask for. I mentioned the verse last night, and I'm going, to, I'm going to skip ahead. The blessing of the Lord, Proverbs 10, 22, it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. What is being rich? Being rich is, is having everything you need 
And if there's something that you need, being rich is having the ability to attain what you need. Guess what? I can be rich in a wilderness. I can have everything I need. And if there's something I need, I got access to what I need. I got quail, I got manna, I got water, I got provisions, the clothes don't wear out. And so God says, be satisfied in that. Let's go to Ezekiel. Here is one prophet. There's many other passages that you can go. What time am I at? They took the time off the back. Somebody's trying to trick me into going longer than Brother Kendall. <laughs> Let's go to Ezekiel chapter number 20. Ezekiel chapter number 20. And here the prophet comes to them. Ezekiel chapter number 20, verses 12. Moreover, he, he, he's rebuking the children of Israel because they've walked in their iniquity. They've done horrible things. They've offered their children a sacrifice. They polluted the land. And look at what he says in verse 12. Moreover, also I gave them my Sabbath to be a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord that sanctified them. I'm the God that does the work. I'm the one that sustained you. I'm the one that sanctifies you. Why do you keep the Sabbath? Because you recognize you can't make it on your own. When they didn't keep the Sabbath, it was saying, God, you're a really great God. You're a really good God, but I'm enough for me, and I'm going to do it on my own. I, I, I've got this. How ridiculous, how futile, but the house of Israel rebelled. He goes on. Oh, i got to hasten on here. Oh. Look at this, and, 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 and he, he says... He says they polluted in verse 13. He says, But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They walked not in my statutes. What is that? His commands, his ways, the blessing of the Lord. They despise my judgments. What's he saying here? He's saying they looked at God's ways and said, Yeah, God, yeah, that sounds good, but we're not going to do that. We think we've got a better way. I know you're saying to live like this, but we're going to live how we want to live which if a man do, he shall even live in them. And my Sabbaths, look at, isn't this interesting? He said, my Sabbaths, they greatly polluted. They greatly polluted my Sabbath. Now here they are sacrificing their babies and they're doing all kinds of vile and gross stuff. And God says, you sacrifice, you polluted my Sabbaths. You got to the place to where you were not satisfied. I was not enough. And look at where it has taken you. You say, how could anybody sacrifice their baby to a, to a stone or wooden God? I'll tell you how it happens. It happens when you say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be enough for myself. I'm, 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 I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to do things my own way. And they weren't contented. They weren't satisfied with God. And so they were never satisfied. And the lust took them to gross and horrible and evil places. And so look at what he says in verse 15. Yes, also I lifted my hand unto them in the wilderness that I would not bring them into the land, which I had given them flowing with milk and honey, which is the glory of all lands, because they despised my judgments, walked not in my, in my statutes, but polluted my Sabbaths, for their heart went after their idols. I'm going to tell you, when he is everything, you don't have to be afraid of idolatry in your life. Nevertheless, my nine spared them from destroying them. And he said, said to my children in the wilderness, walk ye not in the statutes of your fathers. I am the Lord. Verse 19, I am the Lord thy God. Walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them and hallow my Sabbaths. And they shall be a sign between me and you that ye may know that I am the Lord your God. 
The Sabbath was about keeping the way of the Lord. So they rejected that. And they lived in that condition. So now, now, do you have a good understanding here of what the Sabbath was all about? I think we've gone through that. I don't want to hash that too much. Let's go to the New Testament. Three times in Matthew and Mark and Luke, we see the phrase, Lord of the Sabbath, where Jesus said, therefore, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. But in Mark chapter 2, verses 27, and he said unto them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So he's saying, this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying the Sabbath was not instituted. The Sabbath is not a God that we have to worship it in that sense. But God instituted the Sabbath to be a teacher and a helper and to leverage the people of God, amen, in a discipline, in a routine to be able to acknowledge God. To honor God. So every seven days, I'm going to step aside and I'm going to have a reminder and I'm going to have a refresher that God is everything, that I'm satisfied in Him and I can't be too taken away by the things and my efforts and my kingdoms and everything else. And Jesus comes along and said, the Sabbath was not made for man or, or man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. And here's how, pro, here's how far out they had gone. They were keeping the Sabbath and observing the Sabbath Jesus comes along and he healed someone on the Sabbath. He would feed people on the Sabbath. He would help people on the Sabbath. What was he doing? He was addressing people's insignificance and their insecurities. And in those moments that he was ministering to them, he was becoming their everything. He was becoming their all in all. He was coming to them. And this is why they hated him, because he said, look, you're, you're over there stuck on the Sabbath, and you're missing the whole point of the Sabbath. And he says, therefore, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. And they were, oh, how could he say that? He's saying, he's calling himself God. He's Lord over the Sabbath. He is, what is he saying? He's saying, I am the purpose of the Sabbath. You are to go through life and set aside your works and your ambitions and your futile attempts to get through this life. And you are to step back and recognize that only God can save me. Only God can help me. And my life is in his hands. Therefore, I will not fear it. I will not worry. I will not fret. I will not be anxious, but I will be satisfied in what he is doing. I will trust in him. And Jesus is saying, I am the purpose of the Sabbath. I am the one in whom you are to be satisfied with. I am the one with whom you are to be pleased with and contented with. Amen. So this was huge. They called it blasphemy. But the apostles in the early Testament church, they understood the significance of this. And so then we come to Colossians. Now, we don't observe the Sabbath. Why do we not observe the Sabbath? Well, I'm going to turn here. I like what... Um, the MacArthur Study Bible says it says significantly, the command for the Sabbath is not repeated in the New Testament, whereas the other nine are. In fact, it is nullified. See, Colossians 2, 16 and 17. We'll go there in a minute. Belonging especially to Israel under the Mosaic economy, the Sabbath could not be applied or could not apply to the believer of the church age, for he is living in a new economy. Amen. So in the Old Testament, it was a sign 
But Jesus comes along and says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. He said, the law is perfect, converting the soul. He said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I'm not undermining anything that you've ever understood about the law. He said, I am come to fulfill the law. Amen. So what do we understand? We understand this. We don't discard anything that we understand about the Sabbath we don't discard anything that the Old Testament believers observed in keeping the Sabbath, but rather now, instead of it just being one day a week and it being something that's on the outside in the believer that's been born again, washed in the water and by his spirit filled and baptized, we live out the Sabbath every day of my life. How do we do this? Paul said this. He said, for in him we live and move and have our being. For in him we live and move and have our being. He's my all in all. Every day with God, I'm satisfied. Every day I understand, except the grace of God be with me. Amen. I can't make it on my own. So go with me to Colossians chapter number two, and we close with this. This is a closing thing, parting, parting thing. I've got one more minute. Colossians chapter two. This is good. Is this good? Yeah. This is good. This is the word of God. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Colossians 2, verses 11 through 17. Colossians 2, 11. He's talking here. Paul's talking about why are you going back to old traditions and trying to follow rules and guidelines and all that stuff and say, if I do this, then the measure of my spirituality is this. He says in verse 11, in whom ye also were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through faith, the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins, the uncircumcision of your flesh, he hath quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Praise God, somebody. Blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us. Such beautiful language here. Amen. He said, which was contrary to us, it was against us, but God blotted it out and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. I love, amen, the poetry here, the, the analogy. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. He spoiled, amen, the rulers of this world because they have no dominion over us who have been set free. How do they have dominion over us? When we step aside from God and we say, I'm going to try to do this on my own way, we yield ourselves over to the dominions of this world, to the fleshly, carnal nature of man. But when we surrender and say, you know what? It doesn't matter. In whatsoever state I am, Paul said, therewith to be content. I'm satisfied. I'm pleased. Why? Because he's God. He said he spoiled principalities. Therefore... Let no man judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. Look at what it says in verse 17, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Do you have that in the NASB? Verse 17 in the NASB, if you could put that up there, it says things which are a mere shadow of what is to come 
but the substance belongs to Christ. So they kept the Old Testament, they kept the Sabbath, but God didn't create us to keep the Sabbath. He created us to be content and complete in Him. And the substance today is in Christ. When we live a born-again life in Christ, we are keeping the Sabbath. (laughs) And we're sanctified. And we're holy. And we're set apart. And we are to be a light that shineth on a hill. People say, hey, Mr. So-and-so, aren't you in a wilderness right now? Why aren't you so happy? Why are you always smiling all the time? Didn't something go on over here? Because I'm satisfied. My contentment is in the Lord. Why are you always happy? I'm going to tell you, when the things of this world get a hold of you, and stand together, i got to quit. Stand together. When the things of this world get a hold of you, and you're chasing after the stuff and the junk of this world, I'm going to tell you, it will never be enough. That is a sorry place to live. And when Jesus isn't enough for you, he says, you'll be cut off. Because now when you need me, if you reject me now when you need me, all of a sudden, okay, God. Do you need God? I need God every day. I need God every day. That's, that's, That's why I come to church. Church, God didn't make you so you could go to church. God instituted the church so that you could get closer to him. God institute these things. He puts things in our life, the leverage. we got to stop looking at these commands that he gives us as, as we're, we're here. God didn't put us on earth so that we could serve a set of rules. The rules are leveraging our life to know him and abide by him. And when I live in Christ, man, I fulfill the law. All the law is fulfilled. I'm not a transgressor of the law. I, amen, the law is fulfilled. And guess what? I don't need a Sabbath day anymore because every day is holy before the Lord. Now, can you transgress the Sabbath law? Absolutely. You can come to church Sunday, Wednesday, Tuesday night prayer, and still transgress the law. Why? By not letting him be enough. God, I want you to be everything in my life. Hey, man, are you satisfied? I know there's things that we still have that we want to do, but we ought to be willing to set aside our work and our endeavors and our desires and say, you know what, God, there's more to be done, but that can wait. I want to let you know you're everything to me. I love you. That's why I don't understand people say, well, Pastor, I I love God. I had somebody tell me, you know what, I haven't been to church in 50 years, but I pray to God every day. Oh, really? Is he enough for you? You can't find time. You can't find time to fit him in, but you're trying. Sounds like you're trying to convince me. And it sounds like you're trying to convince God that you still love him. But amen, I'm not worried about that. Now I'm not talking, don't don't get me wrong. Can I be pastor here for a minute? It's 820, I've gone too long, so we're already in bonus time and it's already dangerous. When Jesus is enough, you can say, you know what? Yeah, there's things to do. Yeah, there's stuff to do. You know what? That can wait because I need him. And in him, I live and move and have my being anyways. Lord, I thank you tonight for your word. Thank you for such a faithful body. Thank you for everyone that tuned in, everyone that's listening. I thank you for everyone that is desiring you. And I pray tonight by the help of your word, God, that this would be applied to our life. I want you, God, to be everything. I am pleased. I am content. I am blessed, God. I enjoy the blessings of the Lord in my life. God, you are everything. And for this tonight, we give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise. 
in Jesus' name. Somebody clap your hands unto the Lord tonight. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here tonight. Amen. Lord willing, we will see you Sunday morning. In Jesus' name, God bless you. You're dismissed tonight.